Hoody ho! Hello, I pressed the button. It didn't go off, so I had to press it again. Welcome to episode 73. All right, guys, so we're here with another one. This is actually going to be take two. Uh, you know, technical difficulties. Uh, again, uh, Keep finding great guests on multiple platforms, and this is another one on Podmatch. Um, I found her, and I was reading some of her story, and, and as I said, uh, probably in a previous episode, that I wanted to focus in this season uh, at least somewhat on people that impact our lives that aren't just the person with the disability, but also the parents and the teachers and everybody, the caregivers, and everyone that's you know really, really affected as close as possible. Um, to that individual that has that problem. And uh, so I found another great guest, um, and she's a very sweet woman, so why don't you tell us your name and, uh, again, pretend like we didn't have this conversation, a little about yourself. <laughs> sure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Amy Daniels. And my daughter had a was diagnosed with a brain tumor when she was seven months old, right. and um, it reoccurred throughout her life and she had many treatments for it that led to a host of other issues, um, physical disabilities, cognitive impairment along the way. Um, and uh, she was a champ through it all. And, and But a few years ago when she was 19 years old, 20 years old, I decided I need to write about this because I felt like it was a lonely journey. It was a lonely journey for me as her mom. Right. Um, so I can only imagine what it was like for her. Um, so I wrote this story called Reaching for Normal, and it's, it's, it's my journey. It's my memoir about me as her caregiver, as her mom, because I obviously can't speak for Emily. That's right. up to her, you know. Um, but um, I wrote that, and, you know, kind of a similar mission that you have with your podcast, just to get the story out, because I feel like the more people who listen, who understand, who learn about these journeys, it brings us closer together because I, I, I think we're, we're, we're all similar, you know, deep down. And um, the more that we understand that about each other, the, maybe the closer we'll be and um, not, not feel so alone in our journeys. So that, that was why I wrote the book and um, it just came out a couple months ago. Yeah. So I'm excited about that, and that's how we connected. I'm on Podmatch, and we connected, and I was grateful to hear from you, and honored to be in I appreciate your podcast. That. Yeah, no, I mean, what you said about just, um, you know, again, like people being alone, it's, it's a huge reality a lot of people face that even though there's a, you know, a you know, million people that are visually impaired or blind or whatever, you know, I don't know the actual number, but there's a crap load of people that, you know, go through what you, you know, your daughter going, went through, what I went through, what, you know, and, you know, it varies based on the condition, but the idea of just, we feel so alone, even though there's plenty of proof that we're not, but mm -hmm. you can feel like, I've, I've said this before, you can feel alone, even if someone's sitting right next to you. And if right. you don't feel like people understand you, or you don't feel like, even if they like you or accept you in some way, but just don't understand that pain and don't understand where you're at mentally and, and physically, um, you could actually really, really feel alone. And so, um, you know, again, we just need more people telling those type of stories. Um, you actually, I believe I read, you have two kids, right? Right. 
quite. I have um, my a son as well, and he's typically developing teenager now. Um, yeah, so it was, a, you know, just juggling raising Emily uh, along with my typically developing son and trying to be, quote, normal and fit in with my suburban neighbors. Right. Um, when in the, in the background, right. we had this diagnosis for my daughter, which I referred to as a ticking time bomb right. of a, a but, brain tumor that, that wouldn't quit. Before, before we go down that road, like, did, have you ever had that conversation? I've asked another person with this who had multiple kids. Have you ever had that conversation with your son on, you know, hey, you know, I love you too, but I have to give your sister a little more attention because of what she's going through? Oh, absolutely. You know, all the time. And and, and I, I don't think we, we give um, the siblings enough um, credit because now that he's older, I've asked, I said, did you feel slighted in the attention that you got versus what we gave to his sister? Right. He said, you know, maybe when I was little, I did. He said, certainly not. As I got older, he's like, I get it. You know, he understood. But I certainly, as a, as a mom who wants to treat my kids equally, I struggled with that, the guilt. Um, but I also tempered it with the reality of she's blessed with not having the struggles this sister does. Right. And so um, when I'm away for a few weeks at the hospital with his sister and, you know, and he's just a young kid at home without his mom, it's okay because I'll come home eventually and he'll be okay. Right. But we definitely had a lot of those conversations as he was growing up. And he's the younger one, right? He's the younger one. Sorry. Right. Yeah. It's gotta be hard just cause I remember just being like, uh, oh, six years older than my sister and just her getting attention because she's the newborn. It was like, oh, like, oh, they don't love me right. anymore and they love her. Uh, it's right. silly, but your daughter but it's, actually it's, needs the attention. Right. And on a much bigger level. And it's just, you know, and again, I guess because kids are so susceptible to any emotion and things that they just don't know how to control or understand. And, you know, it, it's like you're starting to do because to them, it's like, oh, you're spoiling her. You're doing all these things for her. You're not doing it for me. But it's like I'm, I'm going to the hospital. You know, I'm doing all right. these things that I don't want to do and don't want to take her there. But if we don't, she only has right. so much to live and, you know, things that kids yeah. don't understand. And that's why you kind of have to have those conversations. And I think, you know, he was he was aware enough to understand, you know, she was getting that, like you said, it was going to the, we weren't going to an amusement park. I was taking her to a hospital. Right. Um, so he was, he was old enough to understand. He had that knowledge, but I think young enough at times to still emotionally not understand, right. you know, so there were definitely times where he was moody and we chalk it up to that, that he just needed a little more attention, you know, just developmentally. That's where he was. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, well, I think it's I mean, it, it may be sad to say, but it's 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 a good thing that he turned out the way he turned right. out, because it's like if you, I think if you would have had two people with disability, two people that were going through that, I don't even know if you would be able to take it. Like, that's right. I'm sure that was yeah. a nice reprieval of just like, oh, my God, like it's not taking anything away from your daughter. But it was just like, 
because you know there, there's a, I'm sure there's a certain point, but especially being a mother, and you and you're bringing kids in this world. And there's times parents will have these kids and they have all these problems, and you start to take it out on you like it's something that you know is in your genetics that you didn't know or whatever. And um, right. And then when you actually had another kid, that you know again. I'm not a big word person because people get get sensitive, but I'm a person with a disability and it's like, you know, whatever they were normal or whatever you want to call it. I'm sure they had to feel good in some weird way deep down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, there are times I looked at my son who's just like, just kind of a reminder of quote normalcy, you know, like, when he had the typical tantrum or a meltdown or a problem at school, I'd be like, "Huh, I could probably handle that one. Okay. Right. You know, but <laughs> right. yeah. Um, okay. So let's start with, you know, obviously go back to your daughter and we'll start with, you know, obviously when, when did the chaos kind of start happening? Um, she was just a baby and um, our first baby. And I feel like we were just babies. Nice. And I were just babies. I mean, we were just in our, mid twenties when we had her and clueless. Um, but she was diagnosed with a brain tumor when she was uh, seven months old. Wow. And, um, it was because we noticed she's, she wasn't, she wasn't using her right hand to grasp that toy. So that's what started the ball rolling. And, um, so immediately she had, well, she had an MRI of her brain, which showed the tumor. And the next day she had an MRI of her spine. The day after, which showed that it was clear. The day after that, we met with the surgeon and then she had surgery to debulk the tumor. They knew they couldn't get all of it. And then she started chemotherapy for 15 months. Um, and so... Thankfully, uh, my husband and I were able to work separate days of the week. So one of us was always home with Emily, uh, which was our plan going into having a baby. And then um, so it works out well because at that point, she's not able to go to daycare. And that was just taken away as an option altogether when you have a child who has these, you know, complex medical issues or disabilities. So uh, we were thankful that we had flexible jobs, that we had set it up beforehand to be like that. And then my job became even more flexible and um, let me work a couple days from home because she started also having to go to uh, physical therapy and occupational therapy to learn to use her right side. Um, so it just, it just took up a lot of our time. Where, where were then, you guys at, especially you, like, where were you guys at mentally when that diagnosis came through? Like, are you, I'm, I'm assuming you're probably a wreck. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's devastating, of course. Um, I went through a, a roller coaster of emotions. I, I turned numb. I remember, like, you know, the devastation when, when you hear your daughter has a brain tumor. Right. Um, but then, but the doctor kept talking. And giving us a plan and this is what's going to happen next and this is what you so I, I essentially learned at that moment in time to turn off my emotions I had to pay attention I had to listen what to what the doctor was telling me to do and in, in order for her to get better 
So it was like this numbness washed over me so I could listen and know what to do next. And, um, right. There's some I sort of, sorry, that. I don't want to cut you off. So, yeah. I just want to add to something you were saying. Like there is some sort of strength in that the whole process of just kind of closing off everything and just kind of focusing on one thing and you get to a certain point because I, I heard so many people do say this, especially moms, but also people with disabilities. A lot of times you get a diagnosis of something and in the, in the first time you get it, it's, you know, it's horrific and it's tragic. And then there's a certain point where it's like, okay, can I fix this? How do I do this? How do I manage it? And, and then at some point, once you get all the medical treatment you need, <clears throat> at least leading up to that point, then there's a, a grieving period where you kind of just break down yeah. and it, it's, it's, it's strength, but it's also like, I don't, there's a certain point where it's like, I don't know how even like, it's again, it's one of those things where like, we don't understand the body and the mind right. and, and we don't know how we get to that point because there is a, there is a part in the back of your mind where you're just like, I just want to cry and just lose my shit. And, but you can't, it's like, it's, it's like frozen in there. Um, right. And, and it's, it saved us, right? Like, I'm sure yeah. that has saved you, right? Yeah. And yeah. and I think that has saved me, too, that ability to do that. And it was like, yeah, I mean, every time Emily went into the hospital, you know, I'm just so, people are like, oh, I don't know how you, well, I'm doing it because I have to do it. You right. know, and I'm, I'll feel the things later. I'm not allowed to feel them now. And you're her lifeline. Like she's seven months old. So literally right. she rolls over. She can smother herself. Like right. that's a real problem with babies. Right. So it's like you literally are, it's not like, you know, she was in her teens. Like she is literally in your hands and now you have something else that you don't completely understand at all. And you and your right. husband have to, you know, call an audible and actually sit there and listen and, and, and do whatever they say. Even if, even if they're not right or wrong, you don't know because you have very little information. You have we way have, less yeah, than the doctors know. do. Right. Right. So, yeah, we have these. And, and like you said, you, I just, you just turn those emotions off. You, it's almost like a numbness and you're in like operation mode. I felt like a soldier. Like, okay, we'll get through this. And then, like you said, though, afterwards, we get home from the hospital without fail. Within a few days, I'm, I'm throwing up after I eat dinner because I'm suddenly relaxed. You know, I've, I've unclenched. Like, it's sort of like my body is like, oh, you're functioning again. It wasn't used to that. You know, right. so it's, it's, and that's when the emotion, that's when I became a reckless sort of, you get through the trauma, you get through the hospitalization. And once you're home and sort of, quote, on the verge of recovery, that's when the emotions hit. And I think that's a little bit too of why we feel so lonely because. People are great at coming forward during the trauma, during the high action time. It's the, when you appear to be fine, that it becomes a little lonely. Right. And there's kind of like a and deep down part of us that's like, we kind of want people to see past all the scars and all the bullshit. And this goes for dating. This can go for anything. But we kind right. of just want to see, you want you to see us. I mean, obviously in our most vulnerable, it's easy to see us, but when we're just, kind of blocking you out and kind of have our guard ups there's sometimes we just want people to just kind of see that too because that's really where we're very vulnerable but we try to put on this like hard shell like we're tough and we can get through it and we are in some ways but we 
Absolutely. You know, but again, there's sometimes you just want to hug or you want someone to just care. But, you know, and again, it's kind of like a 50-50 thing. It's your fault, their fault, whatever you want to say. Because, right. Oh, yeah. 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 Because we're like, oh, well, we're fine. Yeah, right. And yeah. we know, like, deep yeah. down, there's a lot of tears behind that. And it's like. Exactly. So, exactly. yeah. No, that, 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 again, that's why I said I talk so much about mental health, because that's the stuff that, you know, people only want to talk about, like, the, you know, okay, suicide or medication or just, like, the, you know, the, the, the key words. But there's so much in there and going through a process like that, you know, especially with your daughter. And it's just, like, you know, um, was she was she planned? Because I know she's your first. She's your first. I wouldn't say she was outright plant we know how it works we were married for four years oh, okay. yeah. you know we're, we're ready to have kids but right yeah. so it's not just some young couple just doing whatever and then just and screw no, our lives no. yeah so yeah. again so it's yeah. like you you know this is kind of i'm sure you guys took the news well like oh great we're having a we're having a daughter right. things gonna be great and then seven months into having her it's like okay now. wait what right yeah um, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Go back to what we were saying, the process of, of because she got diagnosed and now you're coming right, out of then, your numbness. and Right. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of get, we got out of the numbness. We went through a little bit of catharsis to my husband and I just be like, we just have to think positive. Like that was it. Like we kind of made this truce with each other because. You know, in my situation, I had my, my spouse, too, Emily's dad. And so you're balancing his emotions, too, our relationship, along with Emily is obviously the number one thing in our life at that moment in time. Nothing could come between that. So it was an interesting thing to figure out of, you know, hurting because my spouse was hurting, too. And same with him. Looking at me breaking down also hurt him. Uh, so we, at like, you know, within a few days, we were like, we just have to think positive and move forward. And we sort of said the words out loud, and, and that's, you kind of fake it until you make it. But we did. I mean, we, we really just truly just went into that belief system that this will all be fine. Was there, yeah. was there ever like, did, did they give you any kind of time frame? Like they, like how long they felt like, like, like in the very beginning, that's before we skip yeah. past, was there any like harshness of like, Hey, this could end her life soon. This is going to be a short life for her. Or was it just like, Hey, it's right. a tumor. We can take care of this or. Right. Yeah. So initially when they were just looking at the films before they had biopsied it, um, before she had surgery, they were looking at the films and they just prepared us for every scenario. Um, and of course, one of the scenarios was we could start the operation and close her up and not do anything because it's too late. And she would pass within a few weeks. So they tempered it with, we're just giving you every situation so you know, so you're aware, so you can prepare yourself. Yeah. So, yeah, we went a weekend with not knowing what kind of tumor it was. So not knowing her fate at that point. At the time, though, I mean, by the time she had her surgery um, and it was biopsied, it was slow growing. It was a really 
you're going to have a brain tumor diagnosis, this was a great one to have because it was um, easily treatable or it responded well to treatment, I should say. Right. Except that we learned that Emily typically fell in the one to two percent of cases that they gave us for all these medical stats. Right. So in her case, it did not respond well to treatment. Were you able to like appreciate the fact that weeks were going by and she was still alive or were you just kind of constantly looking for that doomsday? She has a couple hours type of. Diagnosis? No. Yeah. I am um, all along, all along. I kept that positive attitude that, that my husband and I had. Um, there were only a few points in her life where I thought this is it. Um, those were, really dark moments but I didn't I didn't think that way I truly just was positive that she would get through it and she did I mean and and I mean quite amazingly so she got through the new treatments and then you know a year later they would say the tumor's growing again and we'd try another new treatment and she would get through it so I'd be like well it's Emily she's gonna get through it so there were, there were only a few times when when I did start counting the days and feeling like we need to be thankful for every second we have. I mean, I was like that, and you can't not get like that when you have a cancer diagnosis. Right. What, but on a truly deep level, that only happened a few times. Right. What, what's it like for you being the parent where they, they have to take your child and for surgery or whatever? Because I asked that because I remember vividly, and I remember having these conversations with my mom where... I was four when the disease I had and they would have to take me back for surgery and stuff. And she would walk all the way until those surgery doors and the mm. little boom, the automatic doors. Cause that's still a sound that kind of triggers me anytime I hear it. I heard one recently and I wasn't getting surgery. It was just, I, they had doors that were, that sounded just like it at a hospital and it was weirdly enough, but it was near a uh, cafeteria. And, uh, and I just remember her, her, like she was always in tears. She was always really emotional because she knew I was screaming because I didn't want to be detached from her. Um, again, I was a little older than your daughter because I was four. But um, what's that like, you know, being her mom, just having to watch her, you know, get poked with needles or whatever, get right. surgery. And, she, you know, you can't really, you're, you're helpless. You can't do anything. Yeah. Thankfully, and I'm sorry you went through that. And thankfully, they, they've improved their procedures since then a little bit, at least with my daughter. For her first surgery, they didn't just take her from me. Um, but she was asleep. So that helped. And she was just a baby. Um, but since then, I would I was able to go into the actual operating room and be with her until she was under anesthesia. Wow. Well, that's pretty yeah. kind of surreal. So um, that was just standard protocol. And the other standard protocol, which, thank God, um, they gave her medicine that made her kind of loopy and causes her to forget where she is that moment in time. So she wouldn't have a memory of the operating room like you. It can cause triggers. If you go in, they called her a frequent flyer and um, because she had so many procedures and operations. So she wouldn't recall going into the operating room. Um, so that was really, I mean, I 
I was just as a, as a mom was just so thankful that they had those procedures in place. Right. Um, and I was, I took the road that I'm just going to be cheery and happy. Like this is no big deal because I didn't want to stress Emily out because I know she would be worried about me if I was upset. So, um, that was just her personality. So I just was like, we're just, we're just, you know, it's just going to make you better. And I would have a smile and we would, you know, right. be kind of like matter if I was dying inside, but on my outward, on my face, yeah. I, you know, I, I put on this act of nothing to be stressed about. It's okay. Well, there's, there, um, there's something haunting about like the, emer- the not the emergency room, but the, the operating room. Like when you go in there, it's just cold. There's all these smells and all these things in the in the air and like you just it feels like a place that you shouldn't be even though it's probably the best place you can be. It's just it's one of those it, it, like I said I still remember like vividly a lot of feelings of being in those rooms and and just you know it it, it especially when you're young it can scar you. So it's good it, that It's that interesting you, to hear your perspective because um Emily wouldn't tell me in, in like concrete words, but she definitely had phobias or hang ups. She wouldn't like, you know, they would put the um, oxygen mask on her nose and mouth. Right. And that's how the anesthesia would, you know, the gas. Right. And they'd give you like flavored ones too, especially when you're young. Right. Like, oh, right. you want watermelon you could, or green apple and shit yeah. like that. <laughs> right. Well, she developed, she wanted nothing on her face. I mean, to the point of like on Halloween, she wouldn't wear a mask. You know, and it was all due to that. I'm sure it was due to that. And it got to the point where, I mean, she hated, she called them getting pokes, you know, the IVF after getting a shot. Um, she was such a difficult sick that it always took a while for them to be able to access an IV. But she'd rather go through that than for them to put the oxygen mask on her face. Wow. And I'm sure it, it was you know, scars and trauma from all the time she had to do it when she was young. Yeah. I remember, I, again, I don't know, because you know, things have changed and, you know, I'm 32 now, so I was four when a lot of this happened and then, you know, some of it was, you know, when I was really young, under 10. Uh, and there was a medication they would give me uh, beforehand and it was so, like, I could still taste it. It was one of the worst tasting things I've ever tasted. I guess it's just to kind of tire you and, and get you just kind of relaxed um, I, and it, and then they were like, well, we got a better version. There's a cherry version. Oh, it was way worse. And, <laughs> and then, you know, of course, uh, and I think, I think it was because I was so fidgety about IVs and needles and stuff. I believe this was to kind of try to relax me. And this was kind of before they really started putting all the medication in IVs and all that. But since I was fighting the IV, it was like, okay, let's just do this. We'll put the IV when he's asleep. Um, and so then, then, then they would take me back and then they would do the gas mask, which I never seemed to dislike. Cause I, I, they, you know, I would just kind of giggle and have fun and the doctors would just say what flavors you want. And they would say something silly or something and I would laugh and then I'd yeah. conk out. Um, but again, like I said, there's, there's a lot of imagery where it's like, oof, like, you know, it, it's one of those, I mean, I guess it'd be interesting to be an adult and awake and walk around in there, but just as a child, it was, yeah, I had a I had a similar feeling that you described. I mean, it, it's definitely a room you don't you don't you're not comfortable in. It's it's not a room you want to be in, and, and it comes across that vibe is there. 
Yeah. For sure. Yeah. You're, and again, like especially when you're young and in my case, you know, they would always, it was just at the end of the hall in this little area and here's these automatic doors and yeah. say goodbye to your mom. I mean, right. they wouldn't use those words, but it was basically, I mean, they were probably more harsher to her than they were to me, but it was like, you know, Hey, and she's just like, I love you. Goodbye. And it's just, and now I'm horrified. And now I'm around these people that are in all, you know, irony now that we're, everybody's in mass and shit like that. But you know, um, these people that right. are in mass, you can't really see what they look like. And then on top of I had an eye, I have an eye problem, but you know, I'm looking at all these people and there's these weird outfits and they're just like, Hey, we're going to poke you and we're going to do all these things to you, but life's going to be okay. And it's like, right. Yeah. yeah. Where's my blanket? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So yeah. I was glad I was there, but when, when she, um, there was a policy early on in the ICU, you were not allowed to sleep as a caregiver. You're not allowed to sleep fall asleep in the ICU. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, I did have to leave her overnight and that that was that was tough as a mom you don't want to leave your child at its at their sickest time right but that that improved with time they they did change that policy a couple years old it's like letting somebody borrow something but you and of course it's something on a much bigger level because it's something that you brought into this world and is priceless and you're allowing somebody just to just like i don't know what they're going to do with it like don't right. drop it. Don't. Like, and again, of course, they are the best people to have your daughter, but it's right. It's but just one um, of those, on the emotional level, like like you're in that scary room. You want your mom. I mean, that's that's what reassures you, right? So right. It's yeah. not like she can call you. That's, it's not like she can really do anything. Like she's stuck no. there with them, and you can't be the protector that you are. Right. Um. So as she, you know, obviously, I was, once you kind of got the diagnosis and um, you started doing some of the treatment, whatever, like as her life progressed and, you know, somewhere between then and, and, and getting her ready for school and all that, like, what is all the things that went on between there? She, um, yeah, so in her early childhood, like when she was about a year after her diagnosis, um, a cyst grew in the tumor in her brain, so she had to have surgery again to have it removed, and then it happened again just three months later. And there was um, so it, it was just like her first three years were um, multiple brain surgeries and chemotherapies, and um, even um, kind of we had chemotherapy that was put directly into the tumor. She had a reservoir implanted in her brain that went from her brain tumor to underneath her scalp. And I would bring her in and the doctor would drain fluid from the tumor and then inject chemotherapy directly into the tumor. And we did that on a daily basis for three weeks. Uh And she was just like three years old at the time, just sitting on my lap getting that that funny medicine that makes you feel loopy and and thankfully her spirit was amazing I mean just she was a typical toddler in every other sense of the word she laughed and chatted she had a ton of friends um just from the neighborhood she had um a physical disability she never had use of her right arm her hand and she had an uneven gait. Her right leg was weaker, so she had an uneven gait. 
and um, would wear an AFO, a brace on her leg. Right. Um, but she could walk eventually. She learned to walk, uh, but never never used her right hand. Right. Did she kind of, I mean, at least at that early stage, did she kind of know that she was different and there was something about her that drew a little more attention to her than the average child? She she did. Um, she did and she didn't. She she acted like she had no idea that she was different, which is awesome as a parent because she's not she's not shy. So she would just jump into any crowd of kids and want to play, and she would play tag, and it would terrify me because you know she kind of walked with a limp and. She could run, but it was, I always thought she was one second away from wiping out every time. Um, and she didn't complain. She was so matter of fact that, yeah, I don't use this hand. That's because I have a brain tumor. And then she would go on with whatever stuff she was doing. What, what kind of, like, emotionally, how's that for you? Or, like, I mean, obviously it probably inspires you and makes you want to stop bitching about the problems that you have but yeah there's got to be a huge part but, of that where it's like oh like you're her mom and you're seeing her struggle even if she's pushing through it and she's living with it it's got to be like you know like my daughter like limp to the kitchen it's like it's got to still got to feel something deep down like a visceral feeling of like oh like I, I think I think there are definitely times that it did but more often than not I just I shut off as Emily. Like, she was so not bothered, or it came across that way, that I wasn't. But there were, like, our day-to-day, it didn't, you know, it wasn't on the forefront of my brain. When we're around groups of kids who were typically developing, then I would be like, oh, wow, we are different. You know, Emily is different. I'm different than these other moms because I can't just sit on the bench and watch our kids play in the playground. I have to be on the play set with Emily to help her find others. Um, And it's, you know, those moments that I felt like, wow, I'm really different. And if I'm feeling different, what does this guy feel like for Emily? Um, But again, I mean, she, her, her attitude was incredible and it, and it, it helped me. Because, you know, I'm like, she's not breaking down. I'm not going to break down. Right. She's the one living this life. So, was you she, know, if she can do it, then I am. <laughs> right. Was she able to go to school? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, um, yep. She went to our neighborhood public elementary school. She went there for preschool for two years, you know, just their half day preschool option. Um, her second year of preschool, she would go to radiation therapy in the morning and then go to preschool in the afternoon. And hardly anyone knew that she was undergoing treatment. And, you know, and it was just, we didn't hide it purposely, but it's not like it comes out. Right. Um, and, um, yeah, and she was in kindergarten and she started having seizures when she was in kindergarten uh, and that was, that's a, that's a rough diagnosis to get because that's, you know, we have to try to figure out what was happening and it really disrupts your day 
or your routine. Because once Emily would have a seizure, she would, and I think this is common for most people with epilepsy, is once you have, once you have a seizure, you're exhausted. And Emily just needed to sleep. It, it didn't matter that it was, you know, one in the afternoon and you had gym class. Like, she just needed, she just had a seizure, she needed to sleep. Right. Um, so that was a new normal that was a little bit more difficult for us to wrap our brains around. Right. Did but you, again, she was fine. <laughs> right. Do, I mean, again, I know this is still early on in her schooling, but did what was it like for you to kind of let her go to school? Because obviously, you know, you know the culture we're in now, especially now with, with bullying and all that, and, and she has a very yeah. visible thing, a very noticeable, you know, impairment where someone can just say, oh, you know, my God knows all the horrible things people say. Um, right. Where, you know, what were you thinking when it comes to that? Because you're letting her now go so, into the real world where you can't protect yeah. her. Um, early, when she was young, um, in kindergarten, first grade, she um, was not impaired cognitively and very verbal and very sure of herself and outgoing and um, and also really friendly kid and, and had a lot of friends. So it was honestly quite easy for me to drop her off at school. I was not I was not concerned because I felt like she could hold her own. Mm-hmm. I was concerned about the more that she would struggle with the two handed task. Right. Um, but that was it. When she um, when she was in second grade, she had a um, her tumor started growing out of done. We had surgery, and she had a stroke during surgery, a major stroke. And so she went from being this, um, this really great kid who obviously had gone through a lot with the tumor treatment um, and had a physical disability, but now she had this major stroke. She spent two months in the hospital and came home unable to walk, talk, or feed herself. So at that point, and then there was a cognitive impairment from that point as well. So that was sort of a a defining moment in her life, in our lives, that there was a difference then. You know, now she's really struggling with learning to walk again, which she did, and learning to talk again, which she did. And we were able to get rid of the feeding tube, and she could feed herself again. Right. But there, but she was left with a cognitive impairment and um, a memory issue as well. And it was that memory issue where she had lost her short-term memory that was difficult as a parent because then I could not rely on her to tell me about the day. So I didn't know if somebody bullied her. I didn't, you know, I didn't know if she was treated unfairly because she couldn't tell me. Right. So that, as a parent, was hard. Did you ever go through the emotions of, like, again, I don't know if you're religious or, or anything, just simply going, like, can you just, like, stop every time she's, like, getting somewhere in life and she's finally living a little bit and something else happens? Like, can you just, like, whatever it is that you're going to do to her, just do to me? Um, yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there, yeah. I would plead to God or anyone that would listen, like enough, 
just enough. Like, put it on me if you need to put it somewhere. Like, but yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Because, I mean, again, and look, you believe in what you believe in, but there's a lot of stuff. When you go through, sim- when you go through things like that or similar situations, um, you know, a lot of people will, you know, well, you know, actually, I actually had an incident today at Dunkin' Donuts where a guy was being really nice to me and he, you know, I gave him my money and he just said, can I pray for your eyes? And I'm like, I wanted to just like, just tell him to screw off and whatever, but I knew he was being nice and and I get it. And and no matter what you're going to do, it's not going to help. But it's it's one of those where it's like, look, man, I'm trying to believe in this, but it's like, cause they always say, you know, what he does, he does for a reason. And they only put, he only puts a certain amount of challenges in front of you. He knows what you can handle. And it's like, well, that, that sounds good. But when you're at the age of your daughter and, you know, she is going through all these horrible things, one thing after another. And every time it seems like she's getting somewhere and she's on her feet, it's like, oh, no, here comes a stroke. And it's like, well, you're pushing a, you know, a six-year-old or whatever she was. It's like, you're pushing her to the limit. Like, I don't know how much more this girl can take. Um, So when people throw those type of, you know, with religion and you try to throw these things in there, it, it becomes frustrating, especially for me as an adult, because it's like, look, I'm not saying I don't believe, but I struggle with it because of stuff like that. Because I know I could pray all I want, but my eyes aren't going to, you know, my eyes are okay, but they're not going to come back tomorrow. And right. You know, yeah, it's, it's definitely a struggle. And it's, yeah, I like you, I, I always found it uncomfortable, you know, like it's a personal thing. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. And again, there's, there's, there's an alternate universe. Like, why not even that? Like I, I, there's a part of me that really feels like, look, if this never happened to me, I wouldn't be the person I am. I wouldn't be doing a podcast. I wouldn't be helping all these people. And maybe I wouldn't be as empathetic and all these things. So there is some good that comes from it. But again, your daughter is also in a different situation because so much happened to her when she was young and a lot happened to me when I was young, but you know, I guess the right amount of things happened to me and, and the right things went for me that broke for me, for me to still be here. But for her, it didn't. And it's like, yes, you can say, well, I had 20 years with her and that's great. And you could have had, you could have had six weeks or whatever. And again, you should appreciate that. You should love that. But there's still, it's like, look, man, I know it's, maybe it sounds greedy, but it's like, I kind of want 50, 60 years with my daughter. Sorry. Right. Like, you know, is it selfish to say, Hey God, maybe not take my daughter from me. Like, you know, for for those people that are arguing that it's like, I don't see the problem that arguing that back. Cause it's like, look, man, I don't know. Like I said, there's, there's so much more, you know, everything is just black or white, but it's like, there's so much gray area there that it's like, there's so much gray area. Yeah. You can, yeah. Those, those platitudes can sometimes yeah. Yeah, strike a chord because like you said, it's that gray area that we're all living in. That's, that's yeah. It's not going to be summed up with one, one nice comment, but like you said, it comes with good intentions when people say those things. Yeah, usually, no. yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, again, I'm on the other side, but I could kind of put myself in your daughter's shoes and see where you're coming from, and it's like, yeah, man, like, I, I, I've had these conversations with my mom, and, you know, I, I could still, to some degree, vividly remember her emotionally going through what I was going through, and she also donated some certain cells from her eyes to mine, and we tried all these different surgeries. She, she sacrificed a lot for me, so um, we've had those conversations and, and just what she was going through, because, again, that's why I said, like, you know, people like you, are, I would love to interview because, you know, there's more to it. It's not just the, the you know, again, I, I can't interview your daughter, but 
even if I could, I would still interview any you anyway because it's you're super important to. Um, you have a different angle and a, a different side of the story. You're you know there's there's more that you went through. Uh, there's some that you went through that she didn't go through, um, and you know it's it's like I said it, it, you gotta cover all of it because you just don't know what other people are going through and how they're affected and impacted. Um, right. And, you know, you're sitting in a seat that most, a lot of, especially moms, but a lot of parents have had to witness their child at a very young age, you know, in a hospital bed. And that vivid image in your head of just them, whatever it is, their head wrapped up or they're in a cast or, I mean, anything. Yeah. I mean, if your kid falls and they break their leg, you know, you're the parent. You look at them like, oh, my God, I should have been there to protect you. And you fell off your bike. It's right. Like, but in, in your case, like. You know, there's nothing you could have done. <clears throat> and so, you know, but so, yeah, I mean, like I said, you got to cover from all angles, because if you just take it from the person with a disability, you really don't know how much your life is impacting theirs. Um, because, again, like I said, especially when, when you're the age that I was and your daughter was, you know, we, we don't really see, you know, you can go in a corner when I'm in the operating room and you can be crying your eyes out or you can be pissed off or whatever emotion you're, you're, you know, letting out, you, you know, I don't see that. And you have to, and right. you kind of have to be strong for me so that I don't fall apart. So you're probably not going to show those emotions even when I am around you. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, um, it's interesting. Yeah. I've talked with, um, a social worker about that. My instinct to not cry or, or be upset in front of my daughter and therefore my son and so you know she's like maybe it's okay for them to see you cry and to say to be upset that so I, I don't know if that was the best tactic but yeah I, you can see it I from think, both angles like you can see how it yeah. could work and also be an inherent so I don't know yeah or uh, hindrance in it um so uh, like after the stroke uh where, like, was, was she going downhill? I mean, you said that she had a lot of impairments and stuff, but uh, where was she at mentally and, and what you know, how she was dealing with life at that point? Yeah, she she still kind of had this same strong spirit. She, um, she had a great sense of humor. She's always had a great sense of humor, and that just didn't go away. Even though she couldn't speak, um... And she, you know, she couldn't move, really. And we, we moved her for her. And then, you know, she went through intensive physical and occupational therapy and speech therapy. So within, within a year, she was walking again and able to do these things and speaking again slowly and differently. But she still had her same sense of humor. And at this point, my, my son was a toddler. And so which she had great fun annoying him and, you know, causing shenanigans with him, which mm -hmm. I just took huge pleasure in, like huge. Like this is a normal thing. Like the sisters are supposed to torture their brothers. Right. And so I would, you know, I wouldn't, she wouldn't get in trouble because I was like, oh my gosh, finally something normal is happening. <laughs> like, right. It's as a mom, I loved it. I'm like, she's, you know, would point her finger in his face when she was when he was a baby, and it would just he would just burst into tears, 
and I would be like, and stop doing that. And she'd be like, I'm not touching him. I thought, oh my God, this is perfect. <laughs> like, this is like a normal thing that right. should be happening. And I'm so not annoyed. I'm just thrilled to bits that we're having this argument. Right. Because for a long time, years went by without any real normalcy. And, you know, right. And then right. the fact that you got to like realize, like, oh yeah, she's still in there, regardless of whatever happened to her. There's still a huge yeah. part of her that's still her. Right. But she was, she had her great spirit. She was cognitively impaired, though. Right. Um, she was sort of stuck at the age she was when she had her stroke. And a lot of that, I think, was actually due to the, the memory impairment. It's hard to learn something when you don't remember 20 minutes ago. So, yeah, yeah. um, it's got frustrating. Yeah. And so, that part was very hard to navigate, harder than the um, physical ailments for me as her mom. I'm not saying for her, but for me, it was harder for me to watch her struggle cognitively um, because that spills into socially as well. Right. So kids don't want to come over and play dolls anymore when they're not into dolls anymore, but Emily still was. Right. So that was um, that was the hardest thing for me is watching her struggle to, with friendship. Yeah, yeah. Kids can be real cruel, and it's just, right. you know you're young and and very impressionable, and all these things that are kind of being thrown at you, and the world is being thrown at you, and it's like and you have something like her, a visible impairment, and it, the world can be very very cold. Yeah. Usually yeah. when you get older it's more subliminal subliminal and you know it's more undercover it's not just you know when someone tells you you're not getting a job it, they're not going to tell you it's because your impairment even though it is. Right. But where when right. you when you're younger kids don't have a filter. And no. kids are going to say whatever they want and you're going to hear the harsh reality of the things that you won't hear when you're older but it's the same thing in in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So so for me that was really difficult to witness. And again, Emily didn't, other than always wanting a friend to come over, she didn't complain that she didn't have friends coming over. Right. So her spirit was great and helped with me, but I was in the background, you know, screaming to myself and crying like, this isn't fair. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, basically you're her best friend, you know, you and her husband. Right. Your husband and, and, you know, your son, and you got all these, you got the family is what matters, which is still a great thing, but you want, you know, you want some normalcy for your child. Right, you just right. Do. Yeah. You can't, yep. you don't want them to just sit in their bedroom and, you know, and again, and then there's, I'm sure there's a, a small part of you are wondering if she's doing what you're doing, which is not showing the emotion when you're not around, like, or you are, she is showing yeah. emotion when you're not around. Like, is she crying? Cause she doesn't she, have friends. Right. Right. Is she, is she being brave for me? Like I'm trying to be brave for her. Yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm yep. sure there was a part of that there. Yeah. Um, which did, did you ever consider uh homeschool for her? Uh, no. No, um, because school was the only outlet she had around other kids, really. And um, it's not that the kids were cruel by any means. We were really fortunate in the environment that, that Emily was in. 
the kids were great. And, and most of they were in a, we were in our neighborhood school. These kids had known Emily since she was a baby. That's and good. they, and I think that helped. Right. Um, so, and then, but after the stroke, when she had the cognitive impairment, she did transition to a, um, a contained specialized classroom where she was in the special ed classroom. And that was difficult for me mm-hmm. to make that transition for her, but not for her. So she struggled academically in school up to that point. And I think it was, you know, it was the right call. Right. And so she was pretty well protected in that classroom. I felt fine leaving her there. And she was along with other kids. So That's she good. got to be social, which she loved to be. Yeah. It's, and uh, I, I interviewed a, a woman. She's a friend of, well, she's a friend of mine now, but she's she's a mother of my friend. And she, she uh, is like an aide to special needs students and stuff. And um, when they're younger, more when they're like kindergarten to sixth or seventh grade and you know, and she, she talks a lot of the ones with autism and, and just, and how, like, they're very simple, but they're, they like, they want, like, the most basic, uh, like, functionality and just the basic, just love and, 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 you know, acceptance and just kind of, hey, I'm doing well. Like, they don't want a whole lot, which is kind of what we should be inherently in our own, like, as adults, but right. they just want the most basic, just, like I said, they want love. They want to know that they did well. Whereas yeah. you get older, it's like, no, I want an iPad and I want, you know, I want all these material things and I, I, I'm selfish and all these, th- all the human, the human qualities that come into us. It's, it's, it, you know, it, it's frustrating, but it, yeah, those kids are, like I said, they are kind they, of they, our basic, the basic model, but they're probably the best version of us. Right. Right. And, and, and we were so thankful for that. And it became apparent, like, you know, when I had my son. He's now, you know, he was, he wanted the iPad and he wanted this and he wanted that. And we would just, we look at him and uh, like, you know, you're not getting that, you know, like period. Like we didn't understand because he had our, our view of Emily who just, she wanted markers and some paper and she was thrilled. She just wanted you to sit and play with her and she was happy. Right. You know, and so when my son would ask for these things, you know, a lot of it is just stuff because his friends had this stuff. Right. Not that he necessarily needed to do it. You know, like, right. we had a lot of discussions with him. And it was because we were so aware because of the way Emily was. Like, she taught us what's important, what's needed, you know. Yeah. And so we had a lot of these talks with my son. Like, oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's sort of you know, one of the blessings that she taught us on what's important for happiness. Yeah. Well, she's a good image for him because it's like, again, especially when you're a boy and and you you get into high school and middle school and, you know, your image means something. And and if it's like, oh, hey, you have a sister who's blah, 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 and she has these problems. And it's like, oh, yeah, but, uh, you know, do whatever you can to be cool and to fit in. Right. And... But maybe, you know, with her being a constant image in his head to know what she went through, you hope that it just brings him up and, you know, maybe that kid that's sitting by him or herself at the lunch table and no one's talking to them or making fun, everyone's making fun of her or him and maybe he'll go sit down next to him because 
you know, he saw what his sister right. went through. Because, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, I think because of, of her, we're going to make some better humans here. She was a great one, you know, and, and really exemplified, but was great in the world. Right. In the human spirit. And, and so, yeah, that's my hope. He is that kid. He is that kid. And I hope that just continues. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's a trickle-down yeah. effect from his parents, so, um, which is great. You know, like I said, you got to be a great example, and then obviously her, and so it, it's good. Like I said, there's so much peer pressure out there. You know, people just think, all oh, sex and drugs and that stuff, and it's like, yeah, that's that's a part of it, but there's the other stuff of just being a, a decent person. And, right. you know, you can be a good person, I mean, you can joke and you can have your fun, but there's there's a lot of people that can be at the butt of your joke, and if you don't have any real experience of dealing with someone who is at the end of that joke, and in his case, he had his sister. You know, you may turn right. into a cruel person. You may, yeah. And even even if it's just for high school, even if you just do it like it's a phase and it's three four years of your life, well, that three four years of your life might kill somebody because you bullied them enough to where they you know kill themselves because right. you know of whatever yeah. it was that you were making fun of them for. And that's a surreal right. thing. <clears throat> so that's why it's good that, you know, you guys, and, and, you know, like I said, he had that in his life, a stable household and a constant reminder of, you know, why you need to be a decent kid to, in this crazy world right. we live in. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, now, again, I don't think we've, we've said it. She has passed. Uh, did you say it was a year ago? Last year. Uh, how, how long did she end up living for? She was 21 years old when she passed away. Um, so through the years of, you know, when she's young and in the school, um, what was kind of the deterioration of her life, at least in the last, you know, three, five, three to five years? She, um, it was sort of an accumulation of the treatments she had, radiation therapy. She had multiple rounds of it just sort of it was our last ditch effort with the tumor that kept growing and um it does a number on your brain and um for her it it um it caused damage to the healthy blood vessels in her brain and that combined with epilepsy which was also because of her brain tumor or treatment they're unable to tease out which is which at that point um so she would, she started having stroke-like episodes um, when she was a teenager. So she just, um, and that's because the blood vessels in her brain were just deteriorating. So she would have these episodes where she would sort of lose the ability to move her body for a day or so, and then it would come back, but taking a hit. Mm-hmm. So her, her balance became off. She ended up in a wheelchair for the last few years of her life, which she hated. Um, just because her balance, she just she needed help walking. She couldn't balance on her own, and um, her speech was also affected again from these strokes that were happening. Um, and then finally, so she she did have a very limited life at the end. Um, we're really all, and she didn't have energy. I mean, the fatigue that she must have felt, I can't, I can't imagine the fatigue that she must have felt. Um, just having that much 
um, going on with her body. Right. And she was she was always tired. We you know we didn't push her. And, um, so she oh. just she didn't do much. The, the last you know she drew pictures and she that was her her love. She was an artist, so she would draw pictures day in and day out, and um, watch some TV and chocolate. She was obsessed with chocolate, so and of course she gave her all the chocolate she wanted. <laughs> um, right. So um, in the end, she did have a um, called a focal status seizure. It's a seizure that does not end, and so that's eventually what what caused her to go into the hospital and eventually. Hospice. She lost all control of her body at that point. She couldn't talk, eat, drink, move her body. She couldn't swallow. Right. Um, to, to, uh, her system failed. Two-part question. Like, were you able to uh, enjoy and appreciate the time that she was when she was there as far as at that point in time? And did you kind of know that you were getting to that point, to the end? Um, yes and yes. We knew at one point her her brain tumor started growing again. They started another round of chemotherapy, and this is when she was about 16 years old. She got too sick on the chemotherapy, so we took it off and decided against treatment. So mm-hmm. when she was 16, we made the choice to not treat her tumor anymore. So that um, started our preparation of knowing that it was likely that she was going to pass. You know, we didn't know when, right. um, and we didn't we didn't dwell on that. But it was a tough we, because we made that decision. It was hard, but once we made that decision, it was. Um, and not once there was a rough few months after that of grappling with having to have that made that decision and what that does to you as a parent to. Um, make that choice for your your child um once we got through that emotions then we learned we've just got to enjoy every day right. and every moment we have with her yeah i was going to ask and you like, because i mean this is probably going to be a poor example but when my cat died last year you know she meant a lot to me she got me through a lot of hard times with my depression and stuff and uh when she it, it was a month before she died um she she was just so skinny and she just wasn't doing well. And I had to take her to the vet and I just bawled my eyes out. And I was just like, boom, there's my morning. Um, or this is me just coming to terms with you. You're going to die. And then I took her to the vet and we did some tests and she ended up living like another month. And when she actually, when I actually found her on the floor dead, I was shocked and I was, you know, heartbroken, but I was also like, I came to terms with it. Like, I'm like, okay. Like I kind of got it out then again, of course, maybe it's a little different, but um, right, but there is there is a mindset that you have to get around. Right. So, so did you? Were you? Okay, that's why I asked you if you were able to kind of enjoy the moment when she was there. Because if you were, then it's like you know, there's a certain point you just enjoy, and then of course when she's gone, there's a certain point where you can you just cry and get right. it out. But I mean, I'm sure there's a good point in her life. I mean, obviously you already said that off and on where you thought she was going to go. Um, right. And so maybe when yeah, it, but it. Yeah, it became apparent in her late teen years that this is this is probably it. Yeah, we, we took a vacation on the beach. She loved the beach. She had a stroke the morning that we went. Uh, yeah. And our, we just, you know, my husband and I just looked at each other. Well, you know, and there's nothing they could do to treat her. We're like, what do we do? 
and you know, my husband just looked at me like he paused for a minute. And he said, "We can sit on the be- on the couch here, or we can sit on the couch at the beach. Right. Let's go to the beach, you know." And it was like, "Yeah, let's go." Yeah. If if we hadn't had our, you know, like we have to enjoy these moments, you know, and and those were the decisions we made. You just got to go on, and you've got to just enjoy it. Absolutely. And we went to the beach. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good way of looking at it because you, you just don't know how much time you have left and, you know, might as well try to go out swinging and appreciate it and live her life right. as best as you can. Um, was, it, was there a part of you that thought like, you know, especially when you kind of cut off the treatment and all that, like maybe we sh- like just let her go when she needs to go and, you know, because again, you, you gave her 21 years of her life, but... I'm sure there's a part of you that was like, like, man, are we just keeping her around for her to suffer? There was, yeah, and that was, and that's when, yeah, Dave and I were, my husband and I were, were on different time frames of being okay with letting go of treatment. Um, because you wonder, is it is it selfish? Like, were we selfish for treating her? And then you have the opposite. Were we selfish for deciding not to treat her. And there's no there's no handbook, there's no manual that says, oh, you made the right answer. You know, so it, those are things that we, you know, we're, we'll always struggle with that. We'll, we'll never know what the right answer was. Um, right. But as a parent, it it's difficult because you, you just don't have the right answer. I don't, we just have to go with our gut. I don't know if there is a right answer, to be honest. I think you just choose one and you hope for the best. And, um, you know, again, I think you basically did both. You let it go for yeah. a while and then you with the treatment and then you just cut her off of it. And like I said, they told you you were going to give you a couple of weeks with her. And right. She made 21 years. And 21 years, right. And she had some good years yeah. and, you know, she had some crappy ones and a lot of it is all blended together, but... The fact that she was able to smile and draw and still find some sort of uh, just happiness in life. That's why, again, why I said a lot of people who are dealing with a lot of these, you know, mental problems and all these horrible disabilities that keep you from being able to enjoy life to the fullest. But they're they're kind of like our basic form and, and but they enjoy life for the, like the smallest things. And we like laugh at like, you know, kids will like go crazy for bubbles and bubbles is right. the dumbest thing. But it's like <laughs> they enjoy bubbles. But like she sat there and just enjoyed drawing. And yeah. like hell is going on around her and inside her. But she's enjoying right. using a pencil or a marker or whatever to just get her through her problems. And she can still smile and have fun. And, you know, there's a huge case to be made that she didn't need to smile ever in her life. Because she was constantly right. in pain and constantly going through stuff. But she did. And yet people like you and I are going through life. And again, I know I have a disability, but you know, I've interviewed so many people that have it worse off than me. And it's like, it keeps me going because I'm like, man, why am I bitching about whatever? Because there's people that are just suffering and they're smiling and they're still living their life somehow through every trial and tribulation that they have thrown at them. Um, and again, I don't give myself enough credit cause I, I do go through a lot, but you know, like what your daughter went through and she still was able to smile and enjoy her, her, her short life. But again, it could have been way shorter. Impactful. Yeah. But I mean, she definitely made an impact and, and, and just like you, I mean, like she, her impact was, 
and, and anyone that she touched, you know, in our lives. And then, you know, I like like I said, I, I, I wrote this book because, I, like you, you know, we, we've got to get these stories out, just like what you're doing on this podcast, which is wonderful, is you share these stories and it gives you perspective um, and some, you know, in, inspiration, but it also understanding. And, and like I said in the beginning, like, hopefully it just brings us all together. Like, we're all humans here. Yeah. We work better together. Yeah. What do you, what do you think is like the biggest, what is the biggest thing you took from the the life that you were able to enjoy with her? And what is the biggest thing, biggest thing you took from Emily? That, um, the pure love that she emitted, she, she just loved somebody for showing up in her life. There weren't expectations. There weren't, um, you did this for me, so I'm going to do that for you. I mean, she just she just loved from her heart and, and emitted joy. And she just loved what was around her. And so for me, I'm trying, you know, I try. It's a struggle. Um, but just to, um, just to have that attitude. Like, we don't need the stuff. We don't need what, what you know, uh, you know, I live in suburbia. You know, in one of these small town suburbans in the planned community, and like you know, there's these certain tracks of life. You don't need that. You can just do what makes you happy, make other people happy, and smile, and and life is good. Right. Do you think that like everything that she went through, she kind of made your family stronger, like between you and your husband's bond, and obviously your son. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, made us stronger. It gave us a just a deeper perspective on what's important in life. Right. Well, cause I mean, look, you know, I, I interviewed someone recently and their, their wife did leave. And during the problem, you know, their child was special needs and, and the, the wife couldn't take it anymore. She's just like, I'm out. Um, yeah. Not, not just on the husband, but just on the whole situation and the child. And so when it comes to that, like you kind of know, you know, what you're bringing to the table, like, okay, Oh, he's still there. She's still there. Oh, we're we're together, and we know that we're in for hell, but it can't be worse than what she's going through. And, right. But I know that you're sticking around. If you're going to stick around through this, then it's a good chance that we're probably going to stick around. We're going to stick with each other forever. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because yeah, there's yeah yeah because it is. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure that others who are not familiar with the world would not understand somebody walking away but the, the stress is tremendous so i won't pass judgment on anyone but yeah there is a tremendous amount of stress no and so, like you said yeah we got we got through here so we're okay <laughs> right and there's just people aren't you know we're not that's just why when people complain they want equality and all that and it sounds great but we're not all built the same and right. some people have certain qualities in them a lot of others don't and there's a lot of people and in, in, in you're in your husband's situation that would have broken you up or you both would have split or whatever uh, or one of you would have and, and you didn't and some people there's a lot of people that just aren't made of that uh, when right. it comes to you know standing up and, and being like look you took the hard road taking the easy road is easy <laughs> like taking the hard <laughs> road is it's what you did you went through and you fought with her and that's why I said the parents are so important because you're so impacted 
And in, in her case, in a lot of ways, maybe not physically, but mentally, you're impacted much more because, you know, of all that she was um, prevented from doing and mentally, you know, obviously the stroke, what it did to her, she doesn't know all that she's going through, whereas you do. You see it. You see the right. deterioration of her over the years and you see every time she seems to pick herself up and then she gets pulled back down again, that psychologically has to just take you through Very. the gamut of emotions for both of you, you and your husband. And so in, in a way, like I said, you just as, you're easily just as impacted, at least, you know, mentally. Um, yeah. And that, that's what makes, you know, you a brave person and just a strong person. Cause you know, and again, that's why it's a trickle down effect. Cause it, you know, she was a very strong person. Uh, right. And your son, you know, being empath empathetic and being a good kid, like, again, that doesn't start from, hey, I woke up one day and now I'm empathetic. Like, you can change certain qualities in your life, but, you know, if you have people like you, like a strong household and a good support system, you know, it's a good chance that you can turn out to be a decent human in this world. I mean, you still can go south, but, you right. know, right. there's a good chance. Yeah, <clears throat> right. Um. Before we kind of end it, and again, if you have any more information about it, we can do that as well, and then we'll talk about your book. Uh, I like to always let the guests, like, you know, give some advice. So, is, do you have any advice for, like, a mother who's uh, going through, you know, the young, you know, they just got, well, it doesn't have to be the same thing as your, as Emily, but, you know, they are going through, they're at the beginning stages of where you were when she first got diagnosed at seven months. Um, do you have any advice for just how to keep them on the, the right path and, and what to, you know, not even just what to expect, but just to. I don't know what happened. Okay. No, you're good. So we had a little te okay. technical difficulty, folks. I don't know. Our phone just kind of hung up. But anyway, um, the question was just, you know, do you have any advice for a parent who's going through what you guys went through? Uh, when Emily was diagnosed at seven months, just on, you know, what, maybe not what to expect, but just, um, sure. you know, just, you know, like I said, what they're in for, what, what, what's, what, what they should do and, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you, you did. Well, yeah, like, like I mentioned, you know, it, it seemed to have worked for us because we just kind of made a vow to, to stay positive. Um, and that really helped put on the smiles when we needed to um and on, on the flip side of that you can still stay positive but still talk about your emotions and talk about your feelings because i think that's important i didn't know how to do that so much when i was younger i know how to do that now and i feel like that is really helpful if you can talk it out and just unload what you're feeling because it does help if it's not with your spouse if it's with a friend who will just listen and just let you get it out. Um, I do think that's helpful too. But but also, you know, staying positive with your child and, and not putting um, more stress on your child if possible, I think is a good thing. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, before we talk about your book, uh, is, there, is there anything else you would like to say about Emily or anything, any information or anything? Oh, okay. Well, I just, I just really appreciate this talk. This is, this is great. It was great to hear your perspective because um, I don't have a disability, right. but my daughter did. And so it was, you know, I, 
I've always wondered if I was doing right by her. And so having your podcast to listen to um, just shed some great light yeah, um, on, on, on your perspective. So I appreciate that. No, yeah, I get it. Like I said, it, it's, you know, it's, I, I was talking to someone recently, actually the woman that I just interviewed, Miss Robbins and my fourth grade teacher, like we were talking off mic just about, um, you know, cause she knows I do this and, and this, this is, this shit is an emotional ride for me too, because I'm, I'm not connected to you guys until I'm connected to you guys where it's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this interview and like little by little, I'm like, I feel your pain. It's, it's terrible. Like it's very depressing and, and, um, you know, not that it's what you wanted, but it's just, you know, like I said, I'm empathetic. Right. I feel what you're going through and I've, I, I put right. myself in my shoes and I put myself in my mother's shoes and, and I just put myself in a, in a person's shoes of just going through some sort of tragedy like that and watching someone they love deteriorate, um, especially at a young age. And it, it's, it's one of those where, you know, like she told me that, you know, sometimes you just got to take a little time for yourself and get away from this stuff because even though it's what you're doing is good, it's just, man, like it, it emotionally, it, it's one of those where it's like, whew, and like, you know, I feel it. And, you know, thank God I have so many episodes down in the vault because it's one of those where it's like, man, I need to take a couple of days because it's, it's, it's rough to... Yeah. Hear people's story and, and you know, like I said, you get I really care about this. If I didn't care about it, I wouldn't feel anything. Um <laughs> but um yeah, uh what um so I mean obviously I know, but stupid question, but what's what's the inspiration of your book and obviously what 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 is it that you talk about in there? So yeah, the inspiration of the book was I needed I, I, I felt like it, it's a lonely journey. And I felt like if, if other people understood this, this journey, we wouldn't feel so alone. Um, because I think that people will shy away from saying, well, how was your doctor's appointment? Or how are you feeling with that? I think we sort of just focus on the surface stuff and not get close to each other. Um, so I wrote the book just as a way of saying this, this is our reality. You know, take with it what you want, but my my focus is just sort of sharing our reality so others would get a better understanding and and maybe we'll um, be more empathetic, be a better friend. Be you know, if it helps with your friendships, if you are friends with somebody who's got a child with special needs or disabilities, then you know maybe it gives you a deeper understanding of what their reality is that they go through. Right. So, and and the book is is just just literally a memoir of my time raising Emily and balancing my family and work and all that. Right. What's the name of the book again? Reaching for normal. Reaching for normal. Good title. Um, yeah. So when I do put the episode, I'll, I'll get a description for, or a, not a description, a, uh, a link to wherever your book is on Amazon or wherever, and uh, put it in there. But uh, again, I really thank you for doing this. Um, if you ever need anything, please call me or text me. Like, you know, if you ever just need someone like I get it, you got your husband and your son and friends, I'm sure. But uh, you know, hopefully we don't lose touch. Um, yeah. And, uh, like it's I said, great. Yeah. And I subscribe to your, your podcast. I'm so excited about it. Appreciate it. Yeah. Like I said, you're a great mom. You're, you're a great guest and like, I'm very happy what you did for her. And, you know, we need more people like you. Well, thank you. You do. You too. And thanks. Well, good luck with everything. I appreciate you having me on today. I really appreciate it. Of course. And it's my pleasure. So, um, I will talk to you soon. And like I said, just hang in there and, uh, thank you for, for your support. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. I feel like shit. <laughs> uh, um, 
no, that was really, really, really sweet and awesome. I, um, it's just one of those, like, what I was saying in there, like, it's just, man, like, emotionally, it's just one of those, you feel her pain, and, like, I don't, if you don't feel anything for that, like, I don't, I don't have to tell you. Like, I'm, I don't have kids. I'm not a kid person at all. Like, I love animals, and if I never have kids, I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't know if I've ever said that on here, but there you go. Um, but man, like I, I can put you, if you can just put yourself in other people's shoes and again, I could put her, myself in Emily's shoes and, and I, I know what my mom went through and I know how that impacts her, how, how I impacted her. And, and so, um, yeah, if you don't feel anything for that, man, I don't have to tell you, I, like I said, I, I'm not the most emotional person, like especially with my medication and all and whatever, but whew, that was a rough one for me because it's. It's just, you feel it. Um, but no, I loved having her on. And, and you know, well, honestly, that was the first time ever hearing her voice. Uh, we talked off mic and we were supposed to just do like a pre-interview and we kind of really bonded and we just said, screw it. She's like, I'm ready now. I'm like, cool. Um, so yeah, thank you to her. She was, she's really an awesome person. And, and uh, yeah, of course, rest in peace to Emily. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you guys for all the support. I just feel like, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a good. Uh, it's just you know, it's it's one of those. It's just an emo- emotional roller coaster. Um, so you yeah, guys, again, thanks for the support, and uh, I will see you guys on the next one. And uh, please take care of yourself, and um, you know, look out for the ones that that need it. And uh, yeah, see you guys next week. Bye, guys.